Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and today I am looking for the best book about aliens. To help me, of course. Oh. R2-D2? Where did you come from? Is a news broadcast? Extra, oh yeah, yeah. Joe, do you have breaking news for us? <laughs> no, it's like it's like an extraterrestrial signal, right? Oh, like it's like we've detected something cool. from beyond. Yeah. Hey, Joe, your foley work <laughs> needs some work. Work. Okay, I'll hmm. I'll I'll try again later. To help me, of course, are two high school English teachers to navigate this dilemma of not being able to find this alien it's book because we're alienating. Oh, alienating. Where are we? It's alien- an alienating yeah. joke. Uh, I feel like that was really something, but you just kind of like didn't naturally let it come up. And now yeah. you just kind of forced it. I really it. forced that joke. Like, as like, soon as you thought of it, you're like, alienating. Alienating. <laughs> That's something Dang I said. Well, you know what? Hey, you know what they say? Comedy, you have to work at it. So I'll be including that joke throughout the show. Okay. Fantastic. Just working, just trying it in different spots. And uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that's exciting for everybody. Try and count them. See how many, see how many times I make the alienating joke. Yeah, it's like a Perfect. game. Little um, game. Okay, so this is the part where you guys tell us the book that you're going to present. My name is Joe Holshue. I am a high school English teacher, and I brought a book this week. It's about aliens. It is written by Arthur C. Clarke, and it is called Childhood's End, 1953. And Nick, hmm. it's, about, it's about nice aliens. Nick, I brought a book about nice aliens this week. Sounds like a deep cut. <laughs> yeah, you've heard of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Well, this is 1953, Childhood and Zen. Uh-huh. Did he put t- uh, dates in all of his titles? Yeah, it was really like it, he he was obsessive about how he ordered them on his bookshelf, and he really liked having them in numerical order. It's like you do with photo albums or something like that. I have no idea if you're telling the truth, but knowing how weird authors can be, sorry, authors, I, I oh. totally could see that being something an author God, would do. You gotta introduce yourself. Uh, we're never gonna get through this intro. Marvel you Scoop, Tights, Lingle Troskins, Frab, Snumper Quilt, Ian, Clish, Fantropos, High School English Teacher, Werv Nepansk. Hey, I should be doing this in English, right? Not alien talk? Oh, I thought it was pig Latin. No, it was alien talk, but I'm Ian. I'm a high school English teacher. Here I was thinking you were just being an asshole. I brought The Three-Body Problem by Liu Xixin. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. Leotze. <laughs> 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 Is that now, Italian? Is that Latin? No, what it's is not. That? Sounds Italian. Is he an alien? Is Polish? Perhaps. He's Chinese. Let's just keep guessing. Chinese? Yeah, that's a that's a, you know guys, that's a really fun game. <laughs> Guess the nationality of the author based, based on, their, on name. their name. Hey, what kind of name is that? <laughs> Today we're, we're alienating everyone. Um, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. This podcast could use a little culture. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sometimes when I hear a student's last name for the first time, I will ask them the nationality of that last name. And, and around here, it's basically like, like it's German or Dutch or <laughs> maybe Polish, right? Um, or and, like a Scandinavian. Well, yeah, maybe. Sure. Um, but, but they never know. 
Like very often, my students do not know the nationalities that they um, from whence they come. Joe, I yes. bet your high school English students love that conversation. Mm, yeah, no. yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about this before, but my high school English students are a captive audience, so it doesn't really matter what I talk about with them. <laughs> oh boy! No, well, it totally does. Um, so I is a is a theme for um, literature. Um, I've seen a lot of alien movies. I don't oh, think yeah, I've right? ever read a book about aliens. Are you serious? Yeah, I think this does this. Well, I'm sure there's some like loopholes there, but generally speaking, I don't read like a lot of alien books. I mean, generally well, speaking, generally you don't, speaking, read, a you don't books, read a lot of books. So, wow, yeah, all is, right. Okay, well, I'm just trying to have some banter here. No need to attack, <laughs> huh? <laughs> well, well I, that's what banter yeah, is. It's well. just a brutal, brutal, nonstop assault. Uh huh. Yeah, I. I do think aliens are a, it, I think it's a visual medium. Like you could tell us about aliens all you want and it's kind of cool, but like mm. there's nothing quite like the alien popping out of the dude's chest. And then it's mm. like, oh, whoa, that's an yeah. alien. I disagree. Oh, oh God. God. No, I think yeah. we've been conditioned by a series of really excellent um, visual representations of aliens, but reading, honestly, reading this, this week's book, reading the three body problem, I realized that there are things that, I think books can do. Oh, I'm gonna sound like a fuddy duddy here. Yeah, Stick no, in the mud. Yeah. There yep. are things books can do with He's alien about to talk stuff. About imagination that you just can't get with, or maybe I haven't seen with film. Yet, ones. yet, you know, yet. Of course, uh, yeah, of course. Who knows? Of course. Perhaps somebody, some, some aspiring cinematique, some filmmaker extraordinaire will listen to this podcast. We know we have a big Hollywood following, mm -hmm. and they'll say, "Hey, you know what? I can do that." better and they'll do it and credit us yeah do you think um too many butlers should have aliens i'm afraid of being too cross genre with too many butlers like maybe yeah, too like many, so butlers, many genres like it stops being hey what we've yeah. talked about spinoffs right sequels mm -hmm. kind of companion volumes what if we did like the entire same too many butlers storyline but mm -hmm. alien alien butlers alien mansion okay. houses oh, alien right. tea or we could or a reboot like we could re like we could like have a successful oh. franchise. We could have like all of the books, all of the films, you know, yeah. all the theme park rides, and then we could reboot it as Aliens. Planning ahead mm -hmm. to the reboot is a great call. Right. Welcome, Lit Heads. Do you don't know Lit? A weekly, or of course, we call it a strongly podcast here. Strongly, uh, strongly where podcast. every week we select two books and force them into a theme that they don't really apply to, and um, we pick a winner. We call it. The Great Arcane Dance. Some of us do. Ian calls it that. Right. I call it that, and I call it that in my sleep sometimes when I dream about you don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's Morse code was... again. <laughs> Must be time for some breaking news. Well, we do have some show rules. Uh, rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers, gentlemen. Rule number two, omit... To omit needless, blah, rule number two, two, wow, holy fucking mm, shit. Mm. Rule number two, <laughs> omit needless words, uh, Joe. Omit needless <laughs> words. Which felt like an ironic rule just then. <laughs> and rule number three, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing that matters here. Um, Vince Lombardi. And of course, our shadow rules, how dare you, what gives you the right, and oh, three, right. where do you get off? Yeah, thank you, Ian, for bringing those up well, yet again. Um, <laughs> Joe, do you want to take 30 seconds to just tease out what your book's about? 
Absolutely. Nick, Earth has been invaded by aliens. Bum, bum, bum. But they bum, seem bum, to be bum. totally altruistic. Like they have humanity's best interest in mind. One day, alien ships appear over every major city and they just sit there. The aliens impose a sort of like soft rule where they like guide the hand of humanity away from its own destruction and to utopia. No, 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 no. Yeah. Huh. Spaceships over the cities. We've heard that one before. Yeah. Uh, Ian, why don't you yep. take 30 seconds and tell me all the tropes in your book? <laughs> <laughs> um, it takes a special kind of cynicism to welcome an alien invasion, especially the hostile kind. But in Liu Tzu's novel, The Three-Body Problem, there's plenty of cynicism to go around. Told through a series of flashbacks and perspective shifts, the three-body problem combines hard science with careful observation of human nature <laughs> to explore whether an alien attack from outer space might be just what humanity needs. And when he was asked about its overt message, Leo said, the whole point of science fiction is to escape the real world. Ah, <laughs> uh, overt message. Overt message. I, I, just, I had to put that in there because... Hook, line, he, and sinker. Ian, let's go. <laughs> I think we're all excited to, to learn some lessons today. Okay. So, um, it's really interesting. This book, this book. I, I, I guess I'll start with kind of what happens in it, and then we'll get into the, like stuff about it but um it's really really fascinating this this main this this author rather uh leo tsushin he said like people said to him uh oh this is clearly like making a comment on chinese history or international relations and he's like nope just a just a fun story (laughs) they're like what's the message though and he's like fun story and they say don't you have a message and he says the point is escaping the real world which is really it just it's interesting um so this has this book has three timelines, and I'm gonna need you guys to pay close attention because it Shit. is a little bit on the complex. Uh, should, okay. I, should I get a pen? Like, should I? I am this? going to make to. notes. Uh, I, I think you're wrong. Take no- <laughs> oh boy, take notes <laughs> if you want to. Timeline one. All right, let's do it. Timeline one. Okay. So the first timeline takes place during the Cultural Revolution in China, which was this period of political Cultural upheaval, revolution. chaos, a lot of betrayals, backstabbing. Um, hmm. At the time, if you were kind of out of line from the the dominant cultural ideology, you were very much killed. Um, and <laughs> since then, uh, I can see why people might interpret this to have some sort of uh, meaning yeah, or message. Yeah, it's right. Okay, I mean, Maybe. it leads off. Not it leads off of with reach. this very yeah. visceral like scene of um, of a university professor being beaten to death uh, oh, because geez. he's a university professor. So like, okay. yes, it, it makes sense why. And, and I don't quite believe Liu Tsushin when he says it's just escapism. Yeah. So it's, anyway, this first it's about an old man in, a, in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a fish. <laughs> no. The first timeline is during the cultural, cultural revolution in China, which is the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And the main character in this timeline... A lot of stuff happens. I'm not going to go into it, but she gets really, really cynical. Cynical. She starts corresponding with some aliens and then basically says, why don't you come invade Earth? Because Earth is dreadful. Oh, that's the, wow. That's the first. That's the that first feels, timeline. That feels like not very pro-humanity. Wow. She's no. awfully cynical. Well, but like she 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 has seen the cultural revolution. She's seen like a lot of upheaval, chaos, betrayals, injustice. Um 
she's like she hates it. She's like people people are the worst. Um, so that's the first timeline. The second timeline involves the development over time of a trader organization of Earthlings who basically are fans of the aliens and welcome the alien invasion. They get fractured. There's infighting. Some of them say, like, let's work with the aliens. Some of them say, let's um, just try and escape the aliens and let them have Earth. But they're basically traitors to humanity. They say, bring it on, aliens. We think you're great. This book seems very pro-alien invasion. Hmm. Very pro-alien invasion. Yes. So uh, these are simultaneous timelines. No, not really. So oh, the first okay. timeline because your second one first wasn't timeline a is, timeline. Sorry, what's that? Your second one didn't sound like a timeline. It sounded more of just like of some like other events happening. that were happening. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a develop it's a develop. So, so you the guys first, want me to run through the notes? Just just get the the record that was a right, trader organization the, and yeah. they're working with the aliens. That's exactly what my notes say. Okay, <laughs> the first timeline is kind of between 19, the 1960s and the 1980s. The second timeline is uh, between the 1980s and the present day. And then the third timeline is sort of present day. Oh, I thought you were going to say the future. Well, mm-hmm. we get into the future in the next book, but I didn't bring that book. Oh, I'm just serious. reading it and it's awesome. Um, it is. This is the first book of this first book of a three book series, and um, I haven't read the third book. I'm in the middle of the second book. In the second book, I gotta share this, you guys. In the second book, there's this dude who assassinates some people by going up into space. Um, no, he's he assassinates some people by making meteorites into bullets and oh, then well. shooting people with meteorites mm-hmm. so that it looks like they were killed by a um, meteor shower. Uh, oh, but wow. really, he takes a revolver into space and shoots them, and it's it's incredible. It's, it's pretty it's cool. Such, it's a bonkers. <laughs> but that's the second good book. Aim. Is- Nick, I would like that stricken from the record. That is the second <laughs> book. That is not that did not happen in the book Ian brought today. Nick, I would like to be right. totally clear. Right. Okay, thank you, Joe, for clarifying that. <laughs> third third timeline, which is the present, present day. day. I have in my right. notes. Humanity in this timeline, humanity as a whole discovers that the aliens have left their planet. Uh, and are coming to invade Earth, and they are only 450 years away. It's pretty close. Also, they discover that the aliens have found a way to shrink massive computers down to the size of a proton, and they have shot these through space to Earth in order to disrupt science on Earth by... Uh-oh. By going into particle accelerators and providing random results. Okay, this is getting detail uh, oriented yep. here. Great. Um, ha- quick question, Ian: Is how nerdy is your book? Well, because ah, what you wow. just said would, sounds real nerdy. Actually, <laughs> a claim could be made that it's actually not nerdy at all and is quite realistic. <laughs> now, I, I have a section. I have a section on hard science, so we're going to table that question because it's a really. Really good right. question. Put it on the and table. And I think I'd like to talk to you guys about like science in science fiction. But I think all um, science is pretty hard. <laughs> you're you're, ta- you're talking. Um, uh, okay, so the, the aliens have shrunk massive computers down and they're disrupting science and basically convincing Earth's scientists that further development of um, scientific inquiry is impossible and physics can no longer advance. And then the aliens discover that their secret is out, that humanity knows that the aliens are coming, and they broadcast this one final threat to humanity. So the book ends on this very like, oh boy, it's the we yeah they're coming, they're they're on their way. Um, okay, so there's three timelines, and 
and this is a fiction book. And so yeah, it's not true as yeah, far as we know. Okay. Mm-hmm. As far as we know. So they send, what's the, um, are there, is there a main character? Is there a story here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's kind of, there's, there's kind of three, there's kind of three main characters. The bulk of the story takes place in the, in the present day. And the bulk of the story is kind of the gradual unfolding of the realization um, wow, there are traitors here on Earth. Wow, the aliens are coming. Uh, they want to kill us all. Um, the traitors are doing a really good job helping them. Oh, Basically, shoot. the aliens don't have much screen time, but by the end of the book, they're established as like really effective, kind of scary is the wrong word, imposing. Like, con- like they're they're serious. They're serious business. Like they, these aliens do not mess around. And you get the sense that when they get to Earth. Earth doesn't have much of a chance. The only chance Earth really has is uh, we have oh, 450 man. years to prepare for the battle, which is coming. Hey, Joe. Uh, the, um, yeah. I think I know why there's not a future timeline. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of labs. Seems like there's, I bet there's a lot of scenes in labs. Right. A lot, a lot of, of white coaches. Mm, actually not. Is this is the, interesting. The, the world's greatest minds trying to stop these yeah, guys. I mean, we, or we is it because t- it's 450 years in the future, nobody really cares <laughs> because they're all going to be that's, dead. That's more something that, that shows up in the second book. But in the first book, <laughs> as they're realizing, as they're discovering like, oh dear, we are, we're, kind of doomed um it's it's actually a lot of police and military uh, a mm-hmm. lot of folks trying to figure out okay what do we do do we contain do we try and you know take down the terror the, the traitors because like that's a good that's something we can do um how do we how do we sort of keep the traders from destroying the traders have kept like really detailed logs of all their correspondence. The aliens have been broadcasting <laughs> to the traders and like saying, do this, do this, do this. How do we like preserve that? So the traders don't destroy basically all the information we possibly have about mm-hmm. the aliens. Um, how do we even begin to cope with this threat? Right. Um, so a lot of paperwork. <laughs> no, there's no, there is no paperwork. There is a lot of cutting ships in half with nanofiber. Oh, got it. Okay. Right. That's what I'd do. There's a lot of people, um, like scientists, um, ending their own lives because they believe they've been led to believe that science is over. We can't do science anymore. Um, there is a whole subplot with a complex in-universe video game, which is designed to be a recruitment tool for getting people into the tr- the tr- uh, the the trader organization. So, like Call of Duty. Um, is it like Call of Duty? <laughs> I would say it's less like Call of Duty and more like Ender's Game in terms of like yeah, sort of puzzles God, and stuff. Good. But you don't need to have scientific knowledge to understand this. It's not a lot of lab stuff. It's pretty it's pretty action packed. I mean, I, I judge a good I judge a good book by like, am I bummed when I have to put it down? Yeah. And I was routinely bummed when I had to put this down. But like I would read for a couple of hours and I would have to say, Okay, it's time to move on. Nerd. Um, we quickly passed over um, how she can talk to aliens? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They speak English, obviously. <laughs> yeah. No. Or so does she write she's them in working. Math? She's working at um. She's working at a 
a radio telescope uh-huh. in um in China yeah. and they're doing some top secret experiments there and she learns that basically if you point the radio telescope towards the sun yeah the sun acts like a big um sounding board so uh-huh. you can bounce messages off the sun and get a ton huh. of more distance to them and right. alternatively you, you can send them like launch yeah, them you can send them long distance and you can hear long distance that makes sense so, have we tried this yet <laughs> the science checks out <laughs> I don't know. This is one of the things about like reading hard science fiction. You know that these these authors are working on the the kind of the bleeding edge of what what we actually know. And the question is always like, how close are we to this in real life? Joe, Joe, what are your initial um, what are you what are your initial thoughts on Ian's book? Um, It sounds a little bit. Well, I don't know if I like all the Earth espionage. I don't think people should be inviting aliens to invade. That sounds mean. You don't approve. Mean to other I, I don't humans approve. It's or mean, mean to, to other humans. The aliens. Well, you know, as litheads know, one of the one of the timeless battles that goes on in this podcast is I am very, very pro humanity, and Ian is very, very anti humanity. Right. So I think, I think we all know alien. That. I think Ian is an alien invasion sympathizer. Oh, interesting. Joe's really offended by the fact that anybody would call aliens to what did she actually want them to do kill everybody i'm offended that two different timelines deal with these traitors three we are yes i did the math in my head and it was right we are exactly 22 years after the release of phantom menace and phantom menace was released 22 years after new hope so we are officially old guys um this is a thing okay Uh, yes perhaps i am a bit of a um Anti-human. Uh, I, I have a jaundiced view towards humanity because, you know, I, I have my eyes open and I see that human beings can be grateful <laughs> to each other. Um, I'm, I don't have my head buried in the sand like a darn ostrich. But, but this book, this book does a pretty good job of painting the anti-humanists, the traitors, and this, this, this one, the scientist who initially invites the, the aliens in. She, like, it does a pretty good job of saying this is not cool. Like it's a pretty, it's a pretty pro human book, and and it kind of persuaded me a bit. Like I was like, okay, you know what? I see where she's coming from. You understand why this character does invite the aliens to come and destroy Earth, but you don't like you get it, but you're like, not, nah, it's not cool, dude. It's that's an overreaction. Mm-hmm. Is it like, is it like a Watchmen thing where it's like, oh, we need a common enemy for everybody to unite behind, and like that it'll take care of this factionalism. Oh, if that's not her plan at all. No, she would oh. love it if they would come and nuke the heck out of all the humans. <laughs> so her plan, her plan is not to unite humanity. Her plan is to destroy large swaths of humanity. Yes, to not all, all humanity. Because these wow. aliens, these aliens are coming basically because their world is uninhabitable. They have developed mm-hmm. the ability of interstellar flight, and they're like, our world has. Well, I can get into why their world is uninhabitable in a bit, but they're like. Our world is, is the worst. We really, really would love not to have our civilization destroyed unexpectedly every couple hundred years. This seems very much like there's a metaphor here. That's just a fun story. <laughs> what do you <laughs> see? Yeah, like no, no, no nothing, nothing going on. Really obvious. What's the metaphor? What are you seeing, Nick? Ugh. Uh, that scoff was at your question. Uh, but also, I mean, it seems like she's pro-intervention or Alien intervention. World War Three. Oh, 
yeah, maybe. But like she's she is so disillusioned. She thinks that like people Hey, what's this girl's problem? Why is she killing well, everybody? She's had why is she killing all like, of our grandkids? <laughs> well, she's just bummed out. She's bummed out by the cultural revolution. She's bummed out by what she sees around her, and she just thinks like it, like is that idiot? Like she just thinks like this has just gotta stop. Is she just bummed, it, Ian? I've been bummed before. Is that the word that you would use for uh, uh, genocide? <laughs> it's like it's like if you have the worst day in your life and you have that same day for the next 30 years. Over mm. and over. Do you know what the Fermi paradox is? Um, the Furby paradox? For, yes, the, fur, the Furby paradox, that thing with the beak and the, and the eyes. Yeah, the, <laughs> that thing. round eyes. So the Furby paradox, it, it, it's kind of this question, though, which it's like, hey, oh. guys, we've been looking for extraterrestrial life and like radio signals for a long time. And I feel like we should have seen something by now. And this is the paradox goes to say, but we don't like we don't hear anything. So there's a couple of options. Option one, we are totally alone in the universe. Option two, everybody who sends out broadcast into the universe is like, invaded by some larger thing and it's very possible <laughs> like it's very possible that um it's very it's it's very possible that the best course of action in the universe is to like on a planetary scale shut up like maybe you shouldn't be launching all these radio signals into space that sounds like what the aliens are telling her is that a paradox yeah like th- this this one specific alien is saying don't like keep just just keep quiet don't let us know if you're out there if you can hear this don't respond because yeah. if we if you respond we'll my people will come and and eradicate your people and take your planet what's like the coolest alien thing that happens there's a lot of cool alien stuff so okay. we get to like we get to we get to know a, a bit about the alien planet um do you guys know about what the three body problem is never heard of it okay I don't and, even uh, have a Nick? joke. I don't I have no idea what it <laughs> nice. is. Okay. Thank you for being honest. I really appreciate that. So basically, if there are two bodies, uh, two, two uh, uh, celestial bodies, like um, a, a large sun and a, and a small earth. The um, earth and the, Mars. Yes. If there are two planets, the earth and Mars, mm-hmm. and that's it. The one with the larger mass will be uh, in the middle and the other one will orbit around it. That's how these things work. Cool. Yep. If there Makes are... Sense three bodies in play shit oh all of a sudden you might have um uh, three you a might crowd have, yeah it's like th- there's not a very simple model yeah. for how this kind of orbit setup is going to work is your smallest body going to orbit the biggest thing or is it going to orbit the nearest thing and this gets even more complicated. I'm not going to take this to infinity, but when you add a fourth really small body into this equation. So this is a concept in, it's an unsolved problem in uh, astro astrophysics. Um, basically like what, what is the, what is the order? How do these, how do these gravitationally, um, how do these bodies uh, inflict gravitation on each other. How do they shape each other's orbits? And the th- it, it is unsolved. Scientists cannot figure out like mathematically what should happen. They can't map how the, it's it's like true pure chaos. Wow. So the alien cool. planet is the planet which has it has three suns, and these three suns are in a three body classic three body chaotic 
orbit of each other, and the planet is all slung in between them. And the effect of this is that sometimes the planet is super far from any livable heat. And sometimes it's so close to all three suns that everything on the planet is practically scorched to a crisp. And sometimes it's in the sweet spot. So the aliens have not figured out how to kind of solve the three-body problem and figure out, like, how to predict when we will be scorched to a crisp or frozen in the deep freeze. And their world is, like, the thought of this is terrifying. We say, oh, well, we know. It's like, as sure as the sun rising in the morning. But for them, the sun might rise and everything will be fine. Or maybe two suns will rise and we have to retreat underground. Or maybe all three suns will rise, and then you just hope that you can dehydrate your body in time to survive this. Oh, because that's the other thing. They can dehydrate their bodies, squeeze all the water out, be rolled up and stored in preparation for the next stable era. So these aliens have adapted to survive, but naturally they don't like rebuilding literally everything every couple hundred years. Or Sure, it gets a little bit old. Yeah. Or maybe every couple of weeks. Yeah. Lazy. So that's why they're looking for a place that has a stable yeah, uh, a stable orbit. Like hey, the Earth. If, if that's where I lived, I think I would want to invade somewhere else too. Absolutely. Right? Like, absolutely. Like, I don't want to live here. This house sucks. Concerning, guys. Yep. Some, well, sometimes. This is, the thing. Yeah. this is, I really like this novel because it doesn't, it doesn't fall into your classic tropes of like, the aliens are completely incomprehensible and evil or disgusting. Like these aliens are, yes, they're colonizing, which is dreadful, but they're also like the, their way of life is unsustainable. They are, you understand why they're trying to invade somewhere else because living in the middle of an unsolvable astrophysics problem is right. uh, a bad way to live. <laughs> Turns out to the be whole a little bit the stressful. Is that the whole point of the book that there's everybody's got their own little story and it's no, all justifiable? No, the whole point of the book, the whole point of the book is like, sure, we understand why other people do bad things, but also uh, human survival is cool. So let's hope we can uh, achieve that. It's really it toes the line really well. It, it, you, the aliens are not good guys. Like they're they're the bad guys. They're 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 invading. Like, there's never a moment of like, oh, but what if they're okay? Again, you understand why they're coming, but you're still mad that they're on their way. (laughs) When we colonize Mars, do you know what we're going to call it? Ours. Ours. Why'd you do it like a pirate? Oh, Good question, Nick. Uh, Ian, do you know why I did it like a pirate? Ours. You, you must just like, have. You must just like have pirates the, on the brain. I do have pirates on the brain. Like you, you should know, get that aliens. looked at. <laughs> oh, pirate brain. Right. I think there's a pill. Scurvy? Is it scurvy? Oh, Quick, maybe it's just lemons. a lie. What's happening, Nick? Next week, our theme is, of course. <laughs> do you want Nick? Do you want to guess? Is it Ninjas? pirates? It's, it's pirates, oh, Nick. Pirate. Can I tell you my favorite pirate joke? Ian, you, I, I'll tell it to you as well. Another one? Nick, what is a pirate's favorite letter? Oh my gosh, this is so bad, Joe. What, is this yeah. going somewhere significantly uh, yeah. quicker? Nick, I, I would like you to answer this question. R, what is a it's R, letter? it's R. Ah, uh, you think so, but actually it's the C. 
Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> That's a really good joke. It subverts expectations. This is moral outrage in my voice at you. I have moral outrage about what you just per- perpetrated. I'm wondering if we need to start re-recording or not. <sighs> Let's bring pirate books next Are week. Are there more jokes? <laughs> no, it's just the one. Joe has oh. a whole Rolodex. Let's do pirate books. Or ninjas, but probably pirates. I'm going to bring the book that wrote the book on pirates, Treasure Island, which has a special place in my heart because it's a book about pirates. (laughs) Yep, that makes sense. Uh, So this week, I'm going to be reading J.M. Barry's pirate book, famous pirate book. Well, sort of famous pirate book. Uh, It's called Peter Pan, and I'm pretty sure there's pirates in it. Like Captain Hook. I've heard of him. All right, so Ian um, Ian brought a book that I think it sounds pretty interesting, and he talks about like, hey, Thank one you. of the cool things about this book is is it Be doesn't necessarily that. lean on all these old sci-fi tropes, right? Like, it's uh-huh. not like a super evil alien race. Well, Nick, I have brought a book <laughs> that is the opposite of that. <laughs> Great. All right. It, Does all right. their this flying week, saucer, like, spin? Okay. <laughs> I, it doesn't say, but there, it definitely is saucer-like. I um, bet you I bet you it doesn't say, but it definitely does spin. You just didn't get right, like to mention if you it. Were gonna, yeah, if you I were feel like I was old enough this, to be spin. alive when we decided that like the whole spaceship couldn't spin because that would be that would never work. They would die <laughs> on the inside. I feel like I was alive when we decided as like collectively culturally like, yeah, just the outside spins. <laughs> I, I would love like seeing the inside of a spinning spaceship and it's like kids on a merry-go-round. <laughs> They're all like, whoa, just whoa. spinning and trying to hit other just- people in the face. <laughs> spinning just totally out of control. Uh, oh yeah. So Nick, I brought a, uh, a book that I had never heard of before about a week ago, but which I enjoyed just immensely. Um, Arthur C. Clarke childhood and, uh, written in 1953, 230 pages long. And it, it's, it's called Arthur C. Clarke. No, <laughs> yeah, he, he was well known for putting his names and the date that he wrote it in the title. And then when the publishers would be like, Hey, uh, Mr. Clark, are you, are you sure you, Do you want have a name to this like, book yet? I like, don't know who you are. Wrong number, wrong number. Damn it. Who's off, the famous again. science fiction author here? <laughs> just use my name as the title. <laughs> you would just yell something like any sufficiently advanced technologies, individual for magic. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so sorry, <laughs> Joe, what is the name of your book? All right. The name of my book is childhood's End. 1953. No, <laughs> <laughs> nope. Written in 1953, 230 pages long. It also doesn't say that on the cover. So I'm going to need you to give us a notarized statement of everything it says on the cover, <laughs> including blurbs. Does it say winner of a Nobel, uh, winner of a Pulitzer prize, but it's referring to the author instead of the book. Oh, he did. <laughs> so Arthur C. Clarke did not win a Pulitzer or a Nobel or even a Hugo Award for this, but this book was nominated in 2004 for a posthumous Hugo Award. Like at one point, the Hugos went back in time and they're like, hey, if we had to give this award to books before the Hugo Award existed, who would we give it to? And, and did this it win? book. It did not win. No, I'm uh, sorry. Mine did, did win. win a Hugo Award. So uh, it was also the first Asian novel. Uh, hey, I think you've talked about so. <laughs> Since we're comparing, Ian, 
You have to shut up. <laughs> I want more of Joe's time. I want all of his time. Hey, Joe went on a rant in the middle of my time, so. Ian, we have to respect Joe's time. All if right. we I'm, talk yeah, I'm too going much, to speak over both of you right then now. he this will never get to a chance to talk about his aliens. book. And that would be bad for everybody. Uh, Joe. Yes. Can I read you a one-star review of your book? Oh, you have seven seconds <laughs> I left. I haven't told you anything about my amazing book yet. But go All on. right. This review is by Dr. Acula. Okay. A disgrace uh, to the doctorate. Um, Ian, do you know him? <laughs> uh, he also I, has his PhD in Shakespeare. He's been Dr. Acula has been drummed out of so many PhD programs. All right, Dr. Acula writes this. This book is the worst book I have ever read. No plot. So, Joe, what is the plot mm-hmm. about? Okay. So Is it, this a short answer? Because he says there's none. <laughs> um Okay. Is that why you haven't got to it yet? (laughs) The plot in one sentence? No, it's because of you. It's because of both of you. Uh, The plot in one sentence is aliens invade Earth, but they are just here to help humanity. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Okay. Well, you don't have to put this in one sentence. Can you just talk like a human instead? Tell us what the plot was about. Wait. That's the worst. Hey, listeners, this is not a part uh, of our structure. Uh, he doesn't have to answer in one sentence. We don't know why he's doing this. <laughs> Joe, this was too easy for Joe, so he had to impose extra strictures on himself. <laughs> I frequently get Secretly. accused of, of inserting needless words, so I'm just trying to take out words, guys. <laughs> the next 20 there. minutes will be one sentence, everybody. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> All right. All right. So in this book, like Earth is basically the Earth of, I guess, like 1953, like post-World War II, Cold War is starting to ramp up. Um, Nuclear weapons definitely exist. Uh, Basically, Russia and America have split up all of the German scientists, and they're both kind of developing their own like intercontinental missile programs, nuclear programs, etc. And while humanity is on this brink of obliterating, itself, like as they're slowly ramping towards obliterating itself, these alien spaceships, Independence Day style, yes, Independence Day stole it from this book, borrowed it, homaged it, whatever. Um, Alien spaceships show up above every major city on the planet. And it's kind of crazy because for like a week, they just sit there. Oh, that's creepy. That's the creepiest thing they could do, right? So creepy. Yep. For a week, they just totally camp out yep. and people like like people are like sending up airplanes and looking at them and like trying to figure out like scanning them trying to communicate with them and it's just nothing nope we're just napping before we kill you all <laughs> <laughs> and then on the sixth day every radio frequency on the planet um basically every radio frequency on the planet has a voice come over it and this guy says hello in perfect english my name is Karelin, is what this dude's name is, like the yep. speaker for this alien species. My name is Karelin. We are here to help you, but some things have to change around here. <laughs> oh, oh, no. And, but here's the thing. One of the crazy things about this book is like they don't exert force. 
They don't like blow up the White House in dramatic fashion. They they basically start a soft rule of the entire world through um, applying very specific pressure to certain institutions and people, and then through a lot of bureaucracy. <laughs> like, <laughs> wait, wait, hang on, Joe. Joe, yep, I'll answer he, any questions. Does he? Does it? Does it lean into like the creepy factor so that when they come forward with their incredibly like banal, bland list of demands, mm-hmm. uh, we want you to put more DMVs on every corner? Yeah, it feels like a relief or is it like, oh, we thought they were going to shoot us with laser guns and instead they're going to slowly sap our morale or is it threat of violence? <laughs> OK, um, kind of both. Uh, so, so let me answer both halves of that. Congratulations, all, Ian. From the very first from like the very first communication, like Arthur C. Clarke goes into like this. Uh, are you familiar with the. Tenacious D song, the best song in the world. This is just a tribute. I am. I did not think we were going to get a Tenacious D shout out, shout out here, but there it is. Jack Black, we're coming for Thank you. Thank you, Jack Black. Like the whole shtick of that song is, hey, this is not the best song in the world. This is just a tribute. Arthur C. Clarke does that when these aliens like give their initial speech. Like he's like, and then Corellan spoke to the entire world on the same radio frequency. And what he said was awesome and it was amazing and everybody could immediately tell how so like how incredibly intelligent and put together and powerful these aliens are but it doesn't actually show you very much of the speech (laughs) but it was just like they had such an in-depth understanding of world politics and the Uh, subtle interconnectedness of everybody and things like that uh ian does your book have lazy writing too (laughs) 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 but then the one thing i will say for this is like yep Things were very different in 1953 in Destiny's yes. Child 1953 or whatever it's called. Yes. Um, like maybe this is not just like lazy writing, but maybe he's like setting up the tropes or maybe <laughs> science fiction had been around already for 50 years and it is lazy writing. Right. It's it's impossible to say. So, Joseph. Oh, I, I haven't answered Ian's end of the question yet. Okay, cool. I guess let's so, get that answered. <laughs> so is there a threat of power? Right. Like, is there a threat of power? The answer is, yeah, all the time. Um, And a couple (laughs) kind of cool things happen. Um, So basically, when they impose rule, like people kind of fall into line pretty quickly here. But some people don't, as you could imagine, like there's like outlying groups like guerrilla groups, um, like the entire country of South Africa. Like monkeys. Are there chimpanzee groups and orangutan groups? Yeah. No, just um, just just the gorilla. Any wallabies. That's not a monkey. I thought it was all different animals. I thought we were doing all different animals. Where we were no, just sticking to monkeys for the two joke. Two kinds of monkey. Go ahead, Joe. Keep talking. Orangutan? One of the mandates. One of the mandates that the overlords. These guys are called the overlords. Corellan and the overlords. One of the mandates that they imposed immediately band. is they said, "Hey, you can't hurt animals anymore. It's <laughs> super, super okay. like okay, like no go." Yeah, right? walk us through the rules. Okay, what else did they get? Wait, hang on. Do you want to do a game yep. where we guess the rules? Oh, sure. But uh, like I've already listed most of them, so I'm not sure how fun the game will uh, be. I can start. Well, Don't hurt we animals. really listening. Don't hurt animals. You got one. Ian, you have a point in this game. Nick, uh, it's your turn. Don't hurt other people. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's, that's it. Two points. Uh, Ian, you are tied at a point with Nick. It is your turn. Um, be, be nice to ecology in the earth. 
Um, they're actually not that concerned about that. They oh, kind of no. let humans like <laughs> they kind of yeah. let humans Screw do the their coral reefs. own thing. Yeah, like as long as they follow a couple. I'm gonna of those. go. Uh, no more toilet paper. You have to use your hand. <laughs> really good guess. Um, actually, no. You have to use leaves. Uh, no more toilet paper. You have to use leaves. Okay. Um, but like, it's not clear right away what happens if you defy the overlords because <laughs> oh, they don't have an. Clear. Ex- yeah. <laughs> so shortly after they impose this animal ban, there is the running of the bulls and a the bullfighting in Barcelona. Barcelona? Barcelona. All right. Pamplona. Pamplona. All right. Minus Pamplona. one Thank Spanish you. geography point for you, Joseph. L- yeah. Thank you. But there's the running of the bulls and the bullfighter is like in the ring with the bull, like at, at this bullfight. I, I excuse my terminology here. He's in the ring with this bull. And the first time the bull takes a pass at him and there's like 20,000 people in the crowd watching, the bullfighter stabs the bull and all 20,000 people feel the stab. Like all 20,000 people feel the pain of that bull. (laughs) That's not cool. That's not cool. Yep. And then then people shape up and they stop hurting animals. (laughs) Wow. So just the the pain, right? Nobody got hurt, actually hurt? No, just the pain. Just the pain. Just the pain. And so, okay, so suddenly, I don't really want to hurt any more animals. I don't know what it is. Okay, so God comes down and people have to start following the rules. And so what, is this all come to a head at the end? You don't have to explain it, but just like, is there anything else that kind of sets this up? Or is that like the, the, the arc? These guys come down, people start following the rules, it leads to a golden age for humanity. Like the word, like the word utopia is thrown around. Yeah. Quite a we bit. didn't know the definition until now. Yeah. Uh, leads to a golden age of humanity. Uh, you ut- total utopia. Like people like no longer have to work unless they want to. It's a post scarcity society just through this really good, clever management of these aliens. <laughs> just and good management. Then, and then, and then in the third part, this book comes to you in three parts, oh. the earth and its overlords in which the overlords arrive, the golden age in which we explore what it's like to live in a utopia. And then the third part of the book, which I'm not going to tell you anything about, except that it's called the last generation, the last generation. Oh, that's ominous. Yeah, oh, it is. No, ominous. let me actually speed round guess this. Yeah. And you are just going to say uh, as, yes or no. as. Yes or no at the end of this. I will guess as many guesses as I want what happens to the end of this book. And you will say, yes, Nick, you got it in one of those responses or no, you did Mm -hmm. not in any of those responses. Got it. You're going to guess a bunch of stuff and I'm going to say you have guessed the ending or you have not guessed the ending. Ian, get me three seconds on the clock. And the clock starts. (laughs) I'm going to count it down. Three, two, (laughs) one, go. Nick, are you there? And, and that's that time. time. <laughs> Nick, you have failed catastrophically. None of that happens. <laughs> All right. So um, the, the aliens leave and then uh, everybody just, they fight again almost immediately. And then they all kill each other and it like escalates super quick. Uh, next thing. Um the aliens have been using this time to like make the uh, planet thrive. And, and now they're actually going to kill us all and get what they want from us all along. They really wanted us to like multiply. So there was more things to eat. I'm going to say that one. Um, another, another option, another option. Um, the aliens 
take over the planet and it's not it's more of a prison they start making them do things that they don't want to do anymore like unnatural things in the other direction so like now that we're like we don't like hurt each other or anything but like now we have to do like weird alien shit and we're like we don't want to do weird alien shit and they're like too bad you're gonna do our weird shit otherwise we're gonna make you do otherwise we're gonna hurt you and then okay so that's one scenario um hmm Ian, can we get a time check? Uh, our next you three have seconds. Forty-five up. minutes left, Nick. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll do one more guess. Mm-hmm. Um, they all get along, and we're good. Okay. All right. Oh, Happily I've got one. After. Maybe the human yeah. beings and the alien, like the human beings, apotheos to be like as cool as the aliens, and it's like congratulations, um, you've succeeded in being as great as aliens. All right. Yeah. Uh, all very good guesses, all like very in the realm of sci-fi. Um, none of you were even close. I'm sorry, neither Sweet. of you were even close. Neither. Um, neither. Neither of you were close. Hey, good so, job, Nick. Yeah, but hey. Not I, even but, close? But I think like that is one of like the pretty cool things throughout this book is like as they transition this society successfully into a utopia and and kind of all the results of that. Um as a reader, you know, you're halfway through this book just thinking like there is a lot of tension on this page right now. <laughs> like this can't be where <laughs> this book ends, but you have no idea what it's going to be. There's clues, of course, there's foreshadowing, call forwards perhaps. Um, but like but like there is just a tremendous amount of tension on the page and there is, you know, it's a bit of a nail biter. It's a bit of a Ooh. it's a bit suspenseful. One of the things that I thought was really like enjoyable about this book, a fun thing about this book is like how many, and Ian kind of insinuated before that this might be lazy and he's leaning on the tropes of uh, science fiction Nick. and things like that. No, that was the insinuation. I just but like, full heartedly agreed with it. Mm-hmm. But Nick, there are like, like there's flying cars in this book. Hmm. There are homes at the bottom of the ocean. There's a home on the top of Mount Everest. Oh, it's right? just not practical. There, there's like faster than light space travel. And then they like have to deal with the fact that if you travel like, like, you know, say whatever, 80 light years that like everybody back home ages 80 years in that time. If you're going Mm -hmm. faster than light and you age months, like that's what there's like stowaways on spaceships. It's like, there's uninhabitable worlds. Like there is all sorts of, sounds like a rich tapestry they've built. A tableau, right? Like there is just Mm. tons of good science fiction stuff. Um, also, are there because any it's characters? Cl- yeah. Okay, there are characters, but this book takes place over a hundred years. Okay. So actually the <laughs> okay. character, like the point of view character, like you keep kind of passing the baton from one to another. Like you'll hang out with the character for something like 20 years in the book. And then that character will have a scene with another character. And then like you pick up the point of view of that new character and then that okay, kind sure. of goes for a hundred years like, so you don't um, get a lot of like character development or stuff like that like you kind of like forget you know you're almost like oh yeah that was like the chief of the un and oh yeah that was that underwater scientist that we hung out with but like yeah that's kind of how the characters go yeah but one of the things that i thought was a blast is because this book was written in 1953 a lot of the classic sci-fi stuff hasn't aged very well or like they Uh, couldn't predict and I'm not talking like 
like how so many of our books don't age well. In the future, there will be a device that holds your iPod, telephone, (laughs) email. (laughs) At one point, they're talking about the problem with television in this utopia and how there are 500 (laughs) hours of television produced every single day. And the average person watches three hours of television. (laughs) And I just thought, oh man. It turned out Man. so much worse than we could have predicted. Yeah, they had no yeah, idea. Like at, at one point, like the overlord needs to like explain something to humanity. So he calls a press conference in order to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and like reporters show up in a room and they learn about it the next day in Put the newspaper. Twitter. Put it on Twitter. Yeah. So this guy didn't round out every aspect of the future, did he? <laughs> no, he couldn't. He did not have perfect vision of the future. <laughs> I am a little concerned though that he didn't because it's like maybe the rest of this books isn't real either. Right. Maybe the science fiction book isn't yeah. real. Is that yep. your concern? That would yeah. be my biggest concern. Yeah. Really, really legitimate concern, Nick. I can say my book <laughs> to- <laughs> totally feels like it could be real. <laughs> if that's what you want to hear, Nick. <laughs> um, Joe, did you like this book? Yeah, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I actually was stressed out finding an alien book this week. Um, I didn't like none came to mind for me. Because they're on um, movies. Yeah. No, I but yeah, I was stressed out finding any. one. And then my wife recommended this one. She found it and she'd read about it. Um, and she recommended it. And I I thought it was a great recommendation. I really dug it. And Lidheads, let me be the first to recommend it to you. Aw. Ian, you lose. I love, I love the concept of Joe's. I like the. I like you've heard it dozens of times before. I understand. (laughs) You're not willing to take a risk. You'll just stick with what's comfortable. Uh, I like. Yeah, I like that. Uh, it seems. It seems. Here's the thing. It seems obvious, but I don't really think it's been done. Like that's. It's a pretty decent original idea. Like, okay, these aliens come down, and like what they don't want anything from us like or like they can just tell us any they can just tell us to do anything and we would do it mm-hmm. <laughs> like we would have to yeah. right <laughs> yeah could like we don't <laughs> we don't have a choice um when stanley kubrick wanted to make a science fiction movie this is the th- th- this is what he initially approached arthur c clark about like this was the first book that he's like i think we could make that into a cool movie and then they workshopped it for a little while and then they were and then arthur c clark was like uh, actually, if what you're going for is that, I got this other book and, and the rest is history. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Man, Joe, you should watch 2001. It's a space, space <laughs> odyssey. I think is, it's my, it's my favorite movie. Wow. Isn't it like, it, it's really long, isn't it? Like, isn't it like a four hour long movie? Yeah. Three, three plus. Yeah. It, I just have no interest. I got, Hey, I got um, a lot of books to read every week, Nick. I can't be watching three hour <laughs> movies. I will. Let's start a podcast where I just watch movies and then I tell oh. you about the movies. Maybe we should have started the movie podcast instead of a book podcast. <laughs> I definitely think that's what the world needs more of is three more movie podcasts? white guys talking yeah. about movies. How yeah, dare you? Enough. How about this for a new cover, cover uh, uh, of our podcast or a, a slight tweak, I should say. All right. So it's the three of our heads at the bottom. You know how they always do that with the illustrations yeah. and the heads? All right. Mm-hmm. And you guys are on each side of me. And you're both, it's just your head, but you're both holding books up. So you just see the top half of the book. 
and your okay. eyes are looking down at the book like you're reading it. And then sure. my eyes are split down the middle, one oh. looking at each of you. I think your eyes should be like looking up in the air like you're not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> As we both sit and talk about our books. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll work on that. Like, subscribe, submit books. You don't know that podcast.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, um, at you don't know this update. And um, that's, that's where we are. You can come and come and recommend a book or recommend a theme. All right. This quote happens. Um, so the aliens race that kind of colonizes or like comes to earth and, and, and helps them. Right they allow kind of endless exploration of earth and they give, they even like give humans like a lot of like new tools and things like that in which to do it, but they will not allow humans to go into space. And people after a while get a little like annoyed with this. Like they think there's a lot out there in space. And this is uh Corellan, kind of the overlord lecturing humanity. Uh, I actually think this is during the press conference <laughs> that he calls. <laughs> All right. And he says, and there are other reasons why we have restricted the human race to Earth. Watch. The lights dimmed and vanished, and they faded, a milky opalescence formed in the center of the room. It congealed into a whirlpool of stars, a spiral nebula seen from a point far beyond its outermost sun. No human eyes have seen this sight before, said Corellan's voice from the darkness. You are looking at your own universe, the island galaxy of which your sun is a member from a distance of a million light years. There was a long silence. Then Corellan continued, and his voice held something that was not quite pity and not precisely scorn. Your race has shown a notable incapacity for dealing with the problems of its own rather small planet. When we arrived, you were on the point of destroying yourselves with the powers that science had rashly given you. Without our intervention, the Earth today would be a radioactive wilderness. Now you are a world at peace and a united race, and soon you'll be sufficiently civilized to run your planet without our assistance. Perhaps you could eventually handle the problems of an entire solar system, say 50 moons and planets. But do you really imagine that you could ever cope with this? The nebula expanded. Now the individual stars were rushing past, appearing and vanishing as swiftly as sparks from a forge, and each of those transient sparks was a sun with who knew how many circling worlds. In this galaxy of ours, murmured Corellan, there are 87,000 million suns. Even that figure goes only a faint idea of the immensity of space. In challenging it, you would be like ants attempting to label and classify all the grains of sand and all the deserts of the world. Your race in its present state of evolution cannot face that stupendous challenge. One of my duties has been to protect you from these powers and forces that lie among the stars, forces beyond anything you could ever imagine. The image, of galaxy, the image of the galaxy's swirling fire mist faded, light returned, and the sudden silence of the great chamber. Corellan turned to go. The audience was over. At the door, he paused and looked back upon the hushed crowd. It's a bitter thought, but you must face it. The planets you may one day possess, but the stars are not for man.